Hello and welcome. This is the Race and Podcast, a series of interviews and conversations hosted by the Society of Architectural Historians, Race and Architectural History Group. My name is Charles Davis, and I'm an Associate Professor of Architectural History at SUNY Buffalo. I am also the host of the Race and Podcast, and I'm here to introduce you to a special series produced in collaboration with Princeton University School of Architecture. This series is entitled American Architecture as a Settler Colonial Project. This series re-examines American architecture through the lens of settler colonialism to identify the ways that racial discourses have distorted our conception of the built environment. It is divided into two parts. Part one examines canonical examples of American architecture and its written theory from the late 19th century to the present. Part two recovers the works of people of color to reprise the countercultural definitions of architecture that have been lost to time. A major goal of these podcasts is to provide teaching plans to primary, secondary, and higher education instructors who wish to examine the role of race on the built environment. Please take a look at the resources provided in the show notes of each episode, which include annotations of each conversation and detailed bibliographies on reference material students can explore. Thank you for listening, and we hope that you enjoy our series. I'm Michael. This is Anna. I'm Jacqueline, and this podcast is brought to you by Curly Mix Productions. Okay, guys, what are we getting into today? I was reading about how Yale canceled their intro to art history class. It kind of shook the world back in January 2020. Well, kind of a niche world. I know, but it snowballed a lot of conversations around the way we teach history. Well, it's about time. That class only highlighted the idealized, white, Western canon. True, but it was also one of the oldest and most popular survey classes offered. It was taught by Vincent Scully for decades. Who's Vincent Scully? Vincent Scully was a famous Yale professor. He was an art historian who wrote a lot about architecture. Scully was fundamental in understanding the theory and design of American architecture and urbanism. During a time when the international style erased ornament and national differences in architecture, Scully set his mark on codifying an American style that would cement a national identity for American architects. Really? Basically, the Yale History Survey drew on Scully's book, American Architecture and Urbanism. He did try to incorporate the contributions of indigenous builders and material culture in that history, but his efforts were kind of awkward through his patriarchal whitewashed lens. Ugh, give me a break with all these old men trying to tell us how the world works. This got me interested in his 1949 doctoral dissertation, which later became his book, The Shingle Style and the Stick Style. There were multiple revisions over time, And as I was reading, I was noticing his conscious attempt to define a relevant vernacular, American architecture. Scully did a lot of research into famous American architects like H.H. Richardson and Frank Lloyd Wright and helped construct a kind of lineage from one to the next. That gave him the groundwork to do the same thing for the postmodernist movement in the United States 
beginning in the 1960s. That's why the cancellation of the Yale course was so dramatic. It was basically the death of that narrative he was part of writing. We love some drama. Totally. Now teaching history isn't going to be about a genealogy of singular white male geniuses anymore. Now we can reread history, taking the settler colonial context into consideration. Settler colonial? Yeah. When we study American history, we always have to keep in mind that it started out as an invasive settler colony, where Europeans sought to establish their own society by replacing the indigenous cultures that were already there. This is called settler colonialism. In his 1955 book, Scully chronicles the development of shingled wooden houses from 1872 to 1889 through the evolution of their floor plans. Referencing American and European architectural journals from that period, he presents the history of the shingle and stick styles with a larger narrative of American architecture, explaining their origins and their influence on later movements. But wait, shingle style? Stick style? I don't know anything about this. Are they just made of shingles and sticks? Well, that's definitely part of it. So the stick style developed alongside a new method of wood framing in the U.S. in the 1830s, the balloon frame. Some of the architects then tried to express this new vertical framing within the walls on the outside of the buildings with vertical board and batten siding. Is that like barn siding? Yes, just like Midwestern barns and shed. The use of board and batten siding evokes images of a rustic American heartland culture, something Scully is desperately trying to articulate in his book as a point in American architectural history that all subsequent American architecture is in debt to. So then the other major part of the stick style is the porch. If you can picture the posts that hold up your typical porch, they make the framing visible in another way, as a kind of open skeleton. Got it. So stick style is all about sticks, the wood framing. Then what about shingles? Right. Well, not gonna lie, shingles are definitely a big part of the shingle style. It came about after the stick style around the 1870s. Whereas the stick style was about the vertical framing and an image of construction, the shingle becomes more horizontal and is meant to have a more natural, almost organic look. The shingles kind of make this tight surface skin over the volumes of the house, and then they often have these fairly exaggerated roof lines. Huh. Some of these look pretty wild. I'm looking at these pictures of the Cragside house. It has a big arch, I guess, for cars to drive under. And all these turrets and porches. Where was all this coming from? This is where it gets juicy. Ooh, I'm excited. So the stick style was largely pushed by this guy, Andrew Jackson Downing. He and some others were publishing these style guides for houses at the time. And yes, they were about the new construction techniques like the balloon frame, but they also illustrated this romantic vision of the American home. And what Scully doesn't talk about is that when someone like Downey is drawing designs for these homes overlooking a picturesque garden, what they're not drawing is the colonial context, the slaveholding economy that affords the wealthy white clientele their lifestyle. Right. It's because of agricultural slave labor that people elsewhere could even use land for leisurely gardens rather than growing food. Without it, there would be no giant cragside mansion. So that whole romanticized vision leaves a lot unsaid. 
Exactly. Then there's also a sentiment that arises later in the 1800s, especially around the Grant administration, that modern America is becoming morally corrupt and that it was growing too large. So they felt the need to return to a time when America was smaller, to colonial America. In fact, there was this 1876 centennial exhibition in Philadelphia that was supposed to celebrate all the progress in America. But what people walked away with was a disdain for the modern advancements and instead a love for the historical colonial displays. Oof, backfired. Hmm, I think I see where this colonial fetish is going. This colonial revival trend must be where that natural, organic vibe of the shingle style you were describing comes from. Yes, totally. Scully brings us to this one photo of a colonial house with a long sloping roof and shingles. This was published in a popular magazine at the time that you can absolutely see reflected in the shingle style. And that naturalistic interpretation of those colonial styles plays into a typical settler colonial narrative that tries to position the white settler as having a natural claim to the land they're settling. And so it all constructs and validates an image of a quote-unquote American architecture and style. It even seemed to me like Scully was still big-time feeling this nostalgia. In the introduction to the 1971 edition of the book, he said, Clearly enough, the stick and shingle houses, like the colonial work which in part inspired them, were the product of an America which, despite its civil strife, was infinitely smaller and less psychologically beset than that of the present day. So this Scully guy was really into selling the story of American architecture. Yep, you got it. Scully was a Yale man through and through. He was born in New Haven, went to Yale for undergrad, for his master's, and his PhD. Then he taught there his entire life. He basically never left. And guess who is his favorite group of guys to hype as quintessential American architects? White guys? Yep, specifically white architects associated with Yale, like Robert Venturi and Robert Stern. So apparently people named Robert. Talk about people in power choosing the mirror images of themselves. Yeah, feminist scholar Sarah Ahmed talks about whiteness allowing reification to be done. The normalization of white men in power and as the people who write our histories and define our world has crafted our world so thoroughly that people weren't problematizing the fact that Scully's history writing and worldview was so narrow. The stick and shingle style excludes pretty much any mention of indigenous cultures from the narrative, instead focusing on the development of the American style through a white settler colonial lens. But I will say, I know later on, in 1975, Scully wrote the book Pueblo, Mountain, Village, and Dance about the connection between the architecture, landscape, and culture of indigenous Americans in the Southwest United States. That's true. You can tell later in life he was starting to realize that glaring absence, but maybe didn't quite know what to do about it. Even though there are a lot of stylistic connections, by writing about it in an entirely separate book, it keeps the narrative separated. This is an American architecture, and this is indigenous architecture. Like we were saying about the Borden-Batten siding evoking a vernacular style and the quote-unquote natural appearance of the buildings, 
Rather than any indigenous practices, he positions the stick and shingle styles as the root of American architecture. In the book, he relates the work of people like Frank Lloyd Wright and Robert Venturi back to this root. In that way, by replacing the native subject with the white settler as the origin, he plays into a settler colonial telling of history. So it's a positive move that his course is being put into question? Definitely. Not that it's not complicated to still be studying architecture at an Ivy League institution period, but it is important that some departments are starting to question the settler colonial narrative of architecture in the Western canon. Right. In Anya Lumba's book on colonialism and postcolonialism, she explains that when people are trapped in their usual bubbles, whether it's an academic or political setting or just a social circle, it's difficult to think outside them. And because people get stuck in their ways, those bubbles also hold a lot of power. Scully was an insider in the very formal academic discourse of American architecture. Such discourses are often static, binary, and don't allow for complexities. Here we can start to question history writing and bring in space for rethinking, rewriting, and re-examining histories portrayed as set in stone. As we just said, even Scully was starting to rethink his own writing. So, what's next? For Yale, I think they're moving in the right direction. According to Art History Chair Tim Beringer, the forthcoming curriculum will deliver new classes like Art and Politics, Global Craft, The Silk Road, and Sacred Places. Instead of putting an emphasis on European art as the apex of cultural development, there will be a focus on various global regions, cultures, and traditions that are equally deserving of study. While I think this is a good start, I think we also have to be critical of the ways we interact with history. Moving from Lumba's reading of static discourse, we can venture into something Ariella Azule calls potential history. Potential history strives to retrieve, reconstruct, and give an account of diverse worlds that persist despite the historicized limits of our world. Historians, like Scully, must examine their role in legitimizing and crafting history as official narratives of a closed archive. Discussing a diverse, multiple, often ignored past engages with outcomes in the continuous present. So in this case with the stick and shingle styles, it's not just about being critical of their settler colonial origins as styles. It's about examining how we write histories and who writes these histories and why. Exactly. Re-examining history is going to be an ongoing process, but we're off to an exciting start. That concludes this episode of the Race and Podcast. For updates on future episodes, please follow us on Twitter and Instagram at raceandpodcast, all one word. To access the show notes and more information on our guests, please visit the Society of Architectural Historians Race and Architectural History Affiliate Group page at saahraah.com. Thank you for listening. <laughs>